This is the Land Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Whitetail Properties Real Estate. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your weekly resource for habitat management, wildlife management, and recreational real estate. We hope you guys enjoy the show. Alrighty, guys, welcome back to another Land and Legacy podcast. We've got a wonderful podcast coming to you guys today. Some topic that Adam and I are extremely excited about for the for the future. And this is not something that we've ever covered on the podcast before. It's not very often that we get to say that because we've done so many podcasts. But guys, the the potential of what we're going to talk about has a lasting impact. Um for generations and for us to be able to share it here on the podcast, uh, we're certainly excited about. So before we jump into that topic today, guys, we're going to make sure we give a shout out to OnX. If you guys are not using OnX yet, um, you're behind the eight ball, you're living under a rock. If you're a land manager into conservation, a hunter, you need to be using that app and uh, check out that elite membership opportunity to get 20% off of that elite membership, use the code LEGACY20, get signed up, get registered. We're using it in the field daily. You see that through social media, through our consulting opportunities and services. Um, But also, even within the podcast discussion today, we use this extensively to help landowners plan out the conversations we're going to have, like I said, on the podcast today. So incredible tool, get yourself a part of it. All right, now back to the main topic for today's podcast. Um, I've got on the phone with me, I don't even know how to introduce you because you've, you've done so many different things. And um, I'm just going to say friend, but there's so many other ways to introduce you. But Mr. Steve Mowry is on the line with us. How are you today, sir? I'm great, Matt. So happy to be here and be able to share some time with you. I am thrilled. I'm thrilled. I don't I don't know exactly which is the best way to to introduce you um with regard to your history, your conservation. You're a landowner, but you're you're now a director. You, you've been a lawyer, you've been on boards um within Missouri Prairie Foundation, all these different things. You have a very extensive background into conservation. Um Brady works extensively with you on your private property. Um improving it, restoring it, so many different ways that, that we're kind of interconnected here. But um, at the end of the day, you're you're a friend to Land and Legacy, and I appreciate your time coming on to really just uncork this, this program that has been in the works that is massively extensive. So I want this podcast to serve, uh, let's say, as a... Um, a learning opportunity for for listeners, but for people who might be interested in being a part of this program. And um, not everyone, though, as we're going to find out geographically, it's going to be applicable. But that doesn't mean that this conversation is then irrelevant to those people. I want everyone to listen to this from start to finish because the impact of um, what we're what we're covering. Again, if it's not on your property that the program is is utilized it will still impact them in a grand land landscape legacy type scenario so um 
I'm going to turn it over to you and stop talking and just let you roll with the history of the program, the history of yourself, the history of Rudy, um, how you guys came together, and then what we're, what you guys are doing and working on currently and what the future holds. So, Steve, take it away. Well, thank you, Matt. This is a, a really a nice opportunity to reach out to people that I feel that I have a, a kinship with, and that's that's landowners. I, I guess the term that we mostly use these days is recreational landowner. But that doesn't really describe, I think, my brothers and sisters that own land like we do. And that is yep. we own land for, for wildlife purposes, primarily to give our families a place to, to recreate. I guess that's the, the word. But mm -hmm. because of a conservation ethic we have, um, I don't think that most of us own it probably for the year-to-year -year income that it, that it generates, but rather to uh, be good stewards of it and to to leave it better than we found it. I certainly, I'm, I come from Nevada, Missouri and uh, Southwest mm -hmm. Missouri and uh, grew up there until I came to go to college in Kansas city. And I remember as a 10 year old sitting in a, the barber chair and look, always listen to the old men. And I always heard these stories about land in the 1930s. Right. And one of them would say, you know, I could have bought that place up in the Horton Bottoms for $35 an hour or $35 an acre. And one of them always say, well, why didn't, why didn't you buy it? And he'll always say, because yeah, I didn't have the $35. Yeah. And right. I just decided at that stage, it didn't really matter what the price was at the time. It, it, it was what you, what you need to do is get in as early as you can and let your mm -hmm. life uh, be the commodity that, uh, pays for it because as you get to my age now i'm running out of time to to really get more land right. but uh i mean the price is going to change and go up over time as the number of people in our country increases and as the the value of the dollar absolutely goes down and so yep. but yep. for folks that are are located in missouri and and primarily missouri i think that's who i speak to mostly uh right now we still live in a state where land is relatively affordable for mm -hmm. relatively average people. If you go right. to the coasts, if you go to the coast, California, the East Coast, uh, so many places Insane. in this country, Colorado, Montana, yep, uh, regular people, even prof you know professional people, accomplished people, sure. there's no way possible for them to own land. Unless they mm -hmm. do it in a corporate sense, it's just so expensive now. Uh, but Missouri right. still, it, it seems to lag in in the dollar per acre price. But what's mm -hmm. unique about us in Missouri is that we have wonderful uh, wildlife. Whether it's yeah. you know, deer, deer and turkey resources that we're always in the top ten in the country in right. our deer and turkey, and there's always squabbles at, at the state level. You know from people about, you know, whether season should be earlier or later, whether, you know, there should be an all day Turkey season or whatever, but it's always because there's so many passionate people about our mm -hmm. wildlife resources in Missouri. I was fortunate to be able to, uh, pick up a piece of property when I was in my twenties with some partners and eventually, uh, my wife and I owned it ourselves and we've been able to add to it over time. And I, came to North Missouri at the time, I, I just call the golden era of turkey hunting. 
And it's not right. now. It was in the late 1980s sure. and early 1990s, you know, about 15, 20 years after uh, the turkeys had been reestablished there. And I think it's pretty standard that after everybody understands that after turkeys are reestablished, they just explode on a landscape. Yes. I don't know that those reasons are completely understood, but I know that they're way ahead of the, the predators at the time. And mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. they they have something in them that says, go forth and multiply. Reproduce. And they, and yes. they do. And they really do. I mm-hmm. I remember being up there in 1988 in the spring in March and, and seeing 350 turkeys and and 40 or 50 strutting gobblers at one time. And then <laughs> when, tur- when turkey sees them to roll around, you'd hear... I called them fairy rings. There'd be 15 gobblers in a circle around you. And one of them would start off and then they, then they would all go in a circle and they would go and just circle and circle. And, and while they're still in the trees yeah. and gobbling and it just, it, it broke me forever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something on, that's going to stick with you. Absolutely. From then on, I, I uh, was addicted to turkeys. I, I, when I grew up, we didn't really even have, we certainly didn't have turkeys in Western Missouri. I mean, on close to mm-hmm. the Kansas line as I grew up, but we didn't have deer either. It wasn't right. until really the late 60s, early 70s that the deer population came into Vernon, Western Vernon County where they became huntable. Uh, that's I know for everybody in their 30s, 40s, uh, younger than me, it's hard to understand. But sure. uh, it was a long it was a long slog for the conservation department to get these numbers back to where they are. So I think I have the the long view on our, on our deer. Yeah, absolutely. It, but, it's, it's good to have that perspective um, shared, honestly. Uh, I, I like to, to think about right where I'm so focused on where we're going, but you, you can share that perspective of like, Hey, we've been there. I've seen that. And, and then this evolution of, of through time and, and have that perspective of, what it currently looks like well so I much is, so much has changed since i was a kid mm-hmm. because when i was a kid rabbits were ubiquitous oh sure yeah i mean you could kick a brush pile and a rabbit would run out you could Absolutely. kick three or, three or four brush piles and a cubby of quail would fly out mm-hmm. i remember as a 13 year old boy 14 years old walking to you know where i was going to deer hunt and i took every step carefully because i did not want a cubby of quail to to explode underneath my feet in the dark. <laughs> no matter how many a, you flush, it always gets you. <laughs> <laughs> and how long, since, how long has it been since that happened to any of you? It's no doubt. It hasn't happened to me for years and years. But hmm. we tend to not understand because we have a short view. We think that it's always been the way it is. But the landscape has sure. not always been the way it is today. When I grew up, mm-hmm. I, we didn't have fescue in our pastures mm-hmm. or fields. You know, we might have had Timothy as a as an introducer. Mm-hmm. We might, you know, but it was probably more of a native warm season and some cool season grasses. But it, w- it was not this overwhelming, you know, green flood of Kentucky thirty one fescue that that came about and formed this this turf that has extended, yes. extended itself all across the state and all across the Midwest. And so you, you may, you may know this number better than I do. A couple of years ago, I had looked up through Missouri extension, but I think it, it was, it was 17 million acres in Missouri um, that were, that were fescue based. 
yeah, about that, four years ago. I'm, I'm, that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, it's fescue has been a, a creeping menace, and it, it's, it's, competing, alive, yeah. it's competing now with menaces such as Cerisia lespediza. That mm-hmm. uh, about the only thing that seemed to be able to outcompete fescue. <laughs> right, so, right. So, yeah. it's, so it's even worse. But in any event, I uh, I really came to appreciate habitat management through the turkey because I saw mm-hmm. our turkey numbers in Adair County begin to what I thought was peak and then just go down that hill a little bit. And so I reached out to a fellow in the neighborhood named Frank Oberly, who is really a, a, a really the godfather of Missouri Prairie uh, advocacy. And uh, I, I told him that I perceived that I needed more nesting cover on my property. And he opened my eyes and began me down this path of, of native tall grass prairie in Missouri. Right. And through those efforts, we began some prairie restoration on our property. It's a lot of, of people that are really in this all the time would, would, they shudder when I say the word prairie. It's really a diverse grassland. I mean, we can't really recreate prairie. Prairie really is a, over 200 species of, of, of fauna and, uh, or I'm sorry, flora. And it's really almost impossible for us to recreate that in our lifetime, maybe over generations. Right. And, you know, it can come back. But uh, I began the process early on of, of trying to, to make it better. And that led me to serving on the board of the Missouri Prairie Foundation, where they made a mistake of asking me to be in charge <laughs> for a while. And But I was able to appoint some really high caliber, I call them, uh, well, just heavy horsepower folks. One of which was mm-hmm. a fellow from St. Louis named Rudy Raceline. And Rudy was the founder of Raceline Engineering or Raceline and Associates, which uh, really made their bones in in a particular way that they created aluminum can manufacturing plants where they containerized right. them and were able to ship these plants all over the world. They, they have uh, plants in North America, Africa, China, Europe, South America, and have really been, been a world leader in the efficient manufacturing of aluminum cans and, and aluminum can manufacturing plants. But Rudy was a hunter and always seemed to find his biggest deer where the grass was the, the thickest and the grass was the best and the grass was the most native. And I was able to persuade him to come on the board of the Missouri Prairie Foundation. And mm-hmm. over time, we became friends. And uh, while I was president, I had an initiative where I had reached out to the, at the time, the largest hog operator in, in Missouri, which was at that time, Premium Standard Farms. Later, right. it became Smithfield Foods. And I reached out to them and I suggested that they were having some environmental issues with neighbors and the press and the state government. Wouldn't it be a good time for them to let off, let out some ground that we could turn into a tall grass prairie? That would show that uh, they have some, you know, because they were really under the gun. They were getting sued all the time and having some difficulties. And they gave us 600 acres for 10 years for no rent. And I mm-hmm. brought it. I brought into the fold Frank Oberly and uh, a special, I mean, a private land specialist of the conservation department named John Murphy, who yep. was, you know, eminently skilled, and uh, Chris Woodson, who worked with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And together we created this plan and restored about 600 acres of their 
ground, some of, a lot of which had been in beans, but almost all of it had had hog effluent put on it. And real, real quickly it, for those listening, what is that? Hog effluent is the water that would come off of the lagoons. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were under under a consent decree, and they would have to get rid of of uh, water. And the best way to do that would be to land apply it. Well, it's full of hog nutrients, as you sure. can imagine. Yep. So there was a lot of thinking that why are you wasting your prairie seed on ground that has this much nitrogen and phosphorus and other things in it? And we just said, well, because we have the land available, let's see what happens. And this most unbelievable prairie emerged from it. Right. It was like a prairie on steroids. And mm. it, it's still there and it's still producing seed. And it, I understood it actually changed some of the migration patterns of, of some uh, – <laughs> migrating birds because of wow. all the food available for that. Sure. That sure. That's and, that, even, even on a small scale right there. And I say small scale can considering the impact that this program we're going to get into here in a second is, is going to have, but for those listening, that, that was 600 acres of a very high productive site. Keep that in the back of your mind. When we get to later in the podcast, the numbers that we're, that we're going to be covering here. 600 acres of a high productive site and of a very limited resource due to the agricultural practices that converted once was prairie into ag ground. You put prairie back and look, look at the demand, let's say from, from wildlife species on that. It's impactful. So uh, Rudy, who was serving on the board, I'd ask him to be on the board and he graciously agreed to come on with this, all the time demands he had on his life. He agreed sure. to keep on this little 501 C3 land trust mm-hmm. and uh i had him out there at the prairie there at premium standard a couple times and i remember he asked me if i would introduce him to the folks at premium standard farms that he had an idea and so frank overly and i and he uh, went to princeton missouri and met with the principals of the of premium standard farms and then he took it from there and his he and his engineers uh developed a plan in which they take the hog manure from what is now Smithfield Foods in a program mm-hmm. that is called Horizon One. And Horizon One takes all the hog manure, puts it under tarp, collects the methane, puts it through a, a process that essentially turns it into natural gas and is that then fed into uh, the pipeline grid. I right. don't know if most people know, but we have a trillion dollar natural gas pipeline grid in this country. It's as extensive or more extensive than the electrical uh, grid. Wow. And wow. So California uh, has been leading the way for some time uh, through their low carbon fuel standards. Uh, there are incentives uh, to uh, create biogas uh, that will actually remove methane from the environment or keep it from going into the environment. Mm-hmm. And so it made, it made Horizon One a, a doable deal. Sure. And because it it returns on investment better than what I mean, at, at a higher rate, I mean, it it produces more money per cubic foot of gas than what uh, natural gas is that's drilled out of the ground. And right, so, and I, like for those listening, I mean, trying to just boil it down, you're you're taking pig manure, processing it. And that eventually converts into na- a cleaner, refined, natural gas that goes directly into the pipeline. Right, exactly right. It it uh, all the 
there's great big giant tarps that go over these mm -hmm. lagoons. And so the smell doesn't come off those lagoons anymore. Yep. The wa water does not rain into the lagoons. So we don't have, they don't have the spills that yep. they did before. It's been a great environmental success for uh, Smithfield. They were able to greatly expand their hog production. And well, it had a big, yeah. They had a big economic impact on North Missouri. For sure. As well as, hey, there's another product being produced on those on on property on site um natural gas going directly into the pipeline that that's going to help mm -hmm. let's say smithfield too economically but a great way to capture that well so you would think having invested 70 million dollars with his own money was enough but mm -hmm. for rudy it wasn't uh, right he obviously has traveled around the world a lot and he's seen the pressures that a, a really expanding human population can have on the landscape there are parts of this world where grasslands are turning into desert yeah and there he, he tells a story about going into a park in china and hearing all these bird sounds and looking for birds and not seeing any and finally investigating close enough and found the microphone the microphones oh that actually chirp out bird sounds because there are no birds anymore and uh, he was he was afraid that you know we we could revisit dust bowl era um, mm -hmm. here as like they are in other parts of this world and we could have a, a a continuing loss of wildlife here if we don't do something and so he envisioned what what we call horizon two and horizon two and really horizon one as well is really based on a three-part venn diagram with one part being wildlife one part being ecological services and one part being biogas production Mm -hmm. And we know what wildlife is, of course, the deer, the turkey, the quail, the pheasants, all those yep. animals that uh, are benefited by uh, grasslands yep. or what I like to call forb lands, because mm -hmm. the, it's the forbs that really do the, the number and create the bugs for, for our birds. The ecological services are something that, that we don't often think about, the value of grasslands. When water falls on a prairie, it doesn't run off. Yep. It soaks It soaks in. Uh, I served for two terms as president of the Missouri Conservation Heritage Foundation. And I learned through my time there uh, about the bell curve that occurs when you have rain that lands on various landscapes. Because yep. we, we had a program that uh, we're able to do oh, mitigation credits, let's say, for mm -hmm. developers. And we would take, we were able to take their dollars that they were purchasing credits for and make changes on streams, primarily in the Ozarks where we would remove yep. low water bridges and do that sort of thing. But I remember uh, asking, well, how about Hinkson Creek in Columbia? Is there anything we can do about, about that Creek? Because I'd heard stories from students in the sixties, how they would walk Hinkson Creek and catch bass. And yeah. that wasn't the case anymore. Well, Columbia developed in such a way around Hinkson Creek that, the bell curve is so narrow and so tall that when rain falls on that landscape, it fills up the creek, the creek goes up way high, and then it goes straight back down. And yeah. that is not conducive to, to good aquatic habitat. Sure. And so an ecological service that's really important with prairie is the infiltration of water. Absolutely. And uh, if, if, it's, if it's bare ground, water runs off. If it's fescue, or other cool season grasses, turf grasses, water runs off. Uh, the other thing is, you know, 
Missouri has a, a lot of water resources. We think about the, the Grand River Basin in North Missouri, extends up into Iowa, that's where it starts, and then comes down, eventually joins the Missouri River. The Grand River Basin uh, serves a lot of agriculture, a lot of ground that doesn't have any cover in the winter, and unfortunately is a, is a point source of a lot of infiltration of nitrogen into the sure. water. That nitrogen flows from maybe Yellow Creek into the Grand River, from the Grand River into the Missouri River, from Missouri into the Mississippi, and it flows all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico and contributes to a, what they call a hypoxic zone. So there's a great big mm-hmm. dead area in the Gulf of Mexico where there's no fish. There's no wildlife because of all the the nitrogen that we put into the system. Now, it's not just us. It's uh, landscapes all over the United States, but uh, we we are a primary, we are a very prime contributor to that. Sure. So one of the ecological services that grasslands provide or forblands provide is is the absorption of that nitrogen and not letting it go into the into the streams. Uh, right. Everybody would have to have been hiding under a rock for the last 10 years if we didn't hear a lot about carbon sequestration. There's a, mm-hmm. a massive amount of science. And I know that that uh, some of us or some of you may not buy 100% into the idea of, of climate change. And uh, it's become so political. But uh, prairie is an excellent way of carbon sequestration, taking carbon dioxide out of mm-hmm. the air and storing it in the ground for thousands of years. Uh, there's other yeah. ways of doing that for us, but but good native grasslands do a wonderful job of doing that. That's another ecological service uh, that, that Prairie provides. And of course, the biogas production is the third part of that Venn diagram. That's, the, that's where uh, this program is going to, get its legs horizon two Mm -hmm. is the second part of a race line model that will over time and the goal is over 30 years take 30 million acres of highly erodible land out of production from crops such as soybeans and put it back into a a very diverse uh, tall grass prairie mix that will serve all three parts of the Venn. It would serve the ecological services. It would serve the wildlife, particularly in pollinators, ground nesting birds, mm-hmm. uh, and deer as well. And it would serve the purpose of biogas. And the, the concept is uh, after you establish the prairie about the third year, we'd start ha- harvesting mm-hmm. one third to one half of that. And that biomass would then be taken to an above ground digester, an anaerobic digester, and that uh, material is mixed with manure, mm-hmm. uh, and it produces methane, which then goes back into the magic machinery, which which turns it into the equivalent of natural gas to be fed into the pipeline and and uh, heat homes or fuel cars and buses and help reduce our dependence on you know other foreign energy sources. Uh, Absolutely, you know a lot of folks like to think that electric is our future. There's a lot of downside to a future of nothing but electric. I don't think it's possible mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. run this country on electric only. We have to take yeah. out 
thousands of acres of ground, uh, of wildlife ground, if we want to have uh, the type of electrical uh, renewable solar cells that some folks want to have, and it, it's going to be a very expensive process. It's not particularly reliable. And uh, mm -hmm. much of the components that are made for the, that come from overseas, and we won't be in charge of them. So right. we now, think our own natural gas is a great resource to, to give us the energy independence that we need. Yeah. I, I'm not an energy expert whatsoever. However, it would make sense, though, that through conservation efforts to restore prairie with technology that Rudy and through H1 learned that we can take green biomass harvested from the prairie, put it in the digesters and convert it to natural gas, but restore land, water infiltration, improve wildlife, that that end goal of creating gas and 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 a fuel system let's say is going to make a lot of sense and be very applicable to let's say the landscape and to serve americans um to be able to instead of instead of just drilling for natural gas like you're you're creating it out of the environment through harvesting and converting from ag into a prairie system not that there's probably not a potential downside, but I don't see it. Like I, I see a lot of wins there from so many different angles um, that, man, this just makes a lot of sense. And to, and to then to say in 30 years, the goal of the program is to convert 30 million acres. If anyone has been in Missouri, I stated earlier, 17 million acres of just Missouri was was fescue based, but it's very difficult to understand the vastness of 30 million acres. Do you like, do you guys have a geographical, like, um, like what, what, what is the size of 30 million acres equivalent <laughs> to? I, I don't know spread out if you just went to highly rotable ground, but you know, there's 640 acres in a square mile. So Figure that math. If it was all contiguous, how many miles and how many counties it would be? It would be, it would be a lot of counties. So extremely extensive, extremely oh, extensive. Well, to buy it would be impossible, and impossible. You know, we know yeah, that. it'd be impossible. Nor should we. We don't. It's yeah, not a, right. Correct. Not right for us to own it. It it needs to be owned by stewards of the land. And those that's the mm -hmm. families that have owned it forever or have a, you know, have a love for it. You know, it's like like we we're talking. I mean. Land is mentioned in the Bible 1,657 times. Yep. And we are directed to be stewards of the land, not because we own it, but because God owns it. And it's our responsibility to take care of it. And so we don't intend to own this land. We certainly don't intend for the government to own it. Uh, the government really doesn't right. have a lot to do with this, except um, they're, they, you know, the, the taxpayers in the United States have decided that they would like to see uh, some efforts made to make more of a holistic uh, energy production like we we're just talking about. And so yes. to that end, uh, Raceline has been the recipient of a climate smart commodities grant that was signed in September of uh, 2023. 
And that, that grant uh, provides $80 million over the next five years with the goal mm-hmm. of establishing 40,000 acres of restored native tall grass prairie. And again, yep. I use the word prairie in defensive quotes. I mean, it's sure. it's the best sure. short word. It's the best short, you know, short uh, word I have for it. But and I guess is another, as well as forty thousand acres of uh, cover crops on ground that right. previously isn't covered in the winter. Uh, and so we began working right away, and and uh, Rudy asked me if I would help and assist and obtaining some of this land and getting some of the prairie established on it. And so we, uh, and a lot of help due to you, Matt, and your partner, Adam, we just got our first thousand acres seeded. Uh, we, right. we believe that frost seeding in January, early February is the best way to go. It causes the least impact on the, on the land. It gives the seed uh, plenty of time to stratify and to uh, right. start, start germinating this summer. And so uh, our goal for this next year is 7,000 acres in, uh, in a, a different, uh, a different locale. This first thousand acres we did in the Princeton, Missouri or Mercer County area. Our next goal is to mm-hmm. get our next six to 7,000 acres in Gentry and Worth counties near Albany. Now the, the location in, near Princeton is because of, of one of the Smithfield Foods farms where we currently have gas production. And so uh, that's called the Somerset farm. Uh, The next one where the first anaerobic above ground digester will be placed is at the Ruckman farm, which is on the Gentry and Worth County line in, in North central Northwest Missouri. Um, And that digester should come online uh, sometime next year. And so it takes a while to get a prairie built, so we're we're securing. Yeah, land. yeah. We're getting land secured by lease now, and uh, uh, it, it, it's it's quite a process. Um, and I have to say yeah, that, that. The, that the recreational landowners that are part of your brotherhood are the the easiest ones to talk to because they already understand the terms. Yeah, um, absolutely. You're you're not trying to convince a, a farmer to take, you know commodity crop ground his uh if you will bread and butter and convert it into something to something else so to to to, let's say recap the last couple minutes of conversation because for those people who who are listening and and they may not know the landscape of missouri they may not be totally familiar essentially race line is energy production the goal is 30 million acres for the company stored grassland this and that through the horizon two program there's an $80 million grant in the next five years to, if you will, kickstart this thing and show the, the feasibility of acquiring ground, planting the ground, harvesting, um, establish, establishing prairie, harvesting portions of the prairie um, every single year to go into these digesters that are then going to be, break down the biomass mixed with manure. Coming off of that is captured... Um, methane and and gas convert that clean that and put it into the pipeline as clean natural gas fuel essentially a a commodity if you will it's helping kind of jumpstart this industry 
with it within the Grand River Basin as, as a target focal area. So then from that, you know, comes out that expansion of hopefully in the next 30 years, there's 30 million acres converted. Do I have that kind of recapped appropriately? Well, you did a great job, Matt. I think the, the future uh, will look toward other uh, confined animal feed operations, whether it's cattle mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Uh, we're also looking to dairies yeah. because there's so much manure. Manure is important because it provides the microbes uh, that, that start the digestion process. Think of these above ground digesters as just a great big cow stomach. Uh, it does the same job that a cow stomach did. And we need that manure to provide the, the microbes to begin that process. And so it's really a pretty cool way to take manure from being a problem to making it a, a solution. Right, right. And so what we really need, we need landowners that have a conservation ethic that uh, are brothers to land and legacy and the, and the mindset mm-hmm. that, that, that we all have in this uh, hunter, hunter world. Uh, that are in the Adair County, not Adair County, but are in the uh, Mercer County, uh, Worth County, Harrison County, yep. Gentry County, uh, some Grundy, but in, up in that area and in southern Iowa in the yep. Grand River Basin to look at their operation and consider is some part of this highly erodible and has have we lost the topsoil? And right. we lost the organic matter in that highly rotable ground. Or could prairie strips be useful to help slow down this water as it comes across the landscape? Uh, because we we don't just do whole fields. We also are big fans of prairie strips. Uh, sure. That produce prairie, but it also slows the water down and infiltrates uh, the nitrogen and captures the carbon, as we were talking about before. Well, for and- those landowners, those landowners that, that are interested in the wildlife benefits, think of your land as the, ba- as the bottom of the pyramid and the highly diverse prairie mix with multiple forbs is the secret to creating invertebrates. It's the bugs. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. bugs are what's missing so much in our landscape today for birds. Absolutely. Uh, we, we've been so good. I mean, our farmers have been so good at what they do. And God bless them because, you know, they've created the, the most powerful uh, country in the world. And thank God for them because, you know, otherwise at some point, if we if we hadn't had that powerful country, somebody been we might have been speaking German or Japanese or who knows what. Sure, but sure. We, we needed the we needed the powerhouse in our history of agriculture to to create the country that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just we now have a worldwide market of agriculture. We buy, you know, we buy agricultural products worldwide, including yep. cattle. Mm-hmm. And perhaps, perhaps we need to consider our land as serving a purpose other than simply creating a commodity crop. For sure. And so, I'd ask the the folks that own that land to consider consider their ground, and if it's up there, they probably have a farm that has ground that maybe doesn't make the the return on their soybeans uh, that they that they do in their bottom ground um, absolutely and that that's the part Steve that we haven't even covered yet and, and hopefully all those listening because I because I know everyone's or generally everyone's heart here um, who's going to listen and be a part of this conversation still with us is this gets you excited to be able to dream about the significance and the impact of a program like this 
from the land, from the conservation, from the wildlife aspect. But it would be foolish to think that, hey, we're just or or landowners are just going to to turn over or lease for nothing ground to you all to put in this prairie and harvest to create biomass and produce um, um, gas. It it's it's not like that. So essentially, you guys are leasing the ground. There is still direct income and monetary incentive annually. Let's say like a CRP contract. But but not we'll get into those details um, for landowners. So they're still making money off this ground better than CRP payments, less risk than farming based on the commodity price there. But you're paying people to do this and they're getting a prairie at no cost. Can you can you kind of talk about how that how that lease situation would work sure. for a landowner? Sure, our lease, I can just speak to our first thousand acres. Uh, I created the lease, or we created this lease, mm -hmm. and it leases for five years, and we pay $160 per acre per year for each of the five years. Yep. Now, this is a five-year grant, and so next year, it's essentially a four-year grant. Right. <laughs> and then right. it's a three-year grant, and so for the folks that we are able to sign up next year, it's really four years of payments. Mm -hmm. Now, the way that we're going to transition toward the end of the grant, this will transition into a relationship directly uh, or more directly with Raceline and doesn't involve a grant because Correct. we, we're understand to keep this in this, in this landform, we're going to need to continue to pay. And so uh, it will transition to a direct relationship without the grant involved. Uh, the payments will be based uh, really more directly on how the gas market is doing at the time. Mm -hmm. we'll, have to, we'll have to evaluate evaluate what the market is and what we can afford to pay. And it'll have to be competitive or more competitive. It'll have to be competitive with beans and with uh, CRP to sure. be successful. Absolutely. We realize that we're in the real world. If yes. it pays, it stays. It's like African That's 100%. wildlife. It's like African wildlife. Africa, wildlife in Africa today is there because Americans are getting on airplanes and flying down there to hunt it. Yes. I, I went over there a couple of years ago and saw it. The crush of humanity in Africa is so great. And I, I'm really not going off on a rabbit trail here. It's really right. the same thing. If uh, I went on a gorilla trek in Uganda and in a country the, the size of the state of Oregon, there's 43 million people. My word. If, it wasn't, if it wasn't for Americans and their money coming there, there wouldn't be any gorillas. And if it wasn't mm. for Americans uh, coming over to hunt in uh, in all these countries like South Africa, there would be no wildlife. It yep. would be goats and it would be cattle and it would be camels. Yes. And it's the same. It's really the same thing here. People, most people can't afford just to own land uh, and not do something with it. Taxes are an ever present mm -hmm. thing. We always have to pay our taxes. We always have to pay insurance. I mean, land is not free. You think you own it, you don't really own it. <laughs> yeah, you pay, true. you pay, you pay other entities for the the privilege of owning land and, and having dominion over it. So we realize that, and so uh, there will be a, a lease arrangement. In addition to the hundred and sixty dollars an acre under the lease that we'll be paying uh, to landowners, we'll also pay uh, potentially for the biomass if we harvest it and deliver it to the digester, it's just a nominal dollar a ton 
fee. But right. Right. if the landowner has the wherewithal to actually harvest uh, to our specifications and deliver to the, the digester, we're paying $37 a ton. Mm -hmm. And one thing that we're working on right now, we don't have any answers, but it's to secure for the landowner uh, credits that are out there in the world right now, whether it's carbon sequestration credits or other biodiversity credits that may be traded on markets, we're seeking uh, ways to obtain those credits for our landowners to increase the amount of money they would receive every year per acre. But that's something right. that we're doing on behalf of the landowner to try to get them more money. For sure. So we know this is only going to stay if it makes financial sense, because one of our big goals is not just to grow bugs and grow birds. It's to revitalize these communities that are withering on the vine Yes. in, in our rural world. In, I mean, in I, rural America. Yes. Yep. If, if, there's a little town of Greencastle, Missouri. You've been there, I'm sure, gone mm -hmm. through it. It's, it's in between Milan and, and Kirksville. Yep. I, I, I hunted there, and a, a lady told me one time that in the 1930s, there were two dance halls in little Greencastle, Missouri. Wow. <laughs> which is hard to believe. I mean, you yeah, go through yeah. it now, and it's just, you know, there's there's one uh, very nice uh, uh, flower shop and, and one bar and, and a funeral home, which... I guess is open, but uh, what has happened is everybody knows as farms got larger and equipment got bigger, we didn't need as many people on the landscape. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember seeing in the 1980s during the agricultural crisis up there, I saw the last vestiges of those families. Mm -hmm. I would see young men in their upper teens and early 20s just driving around aimlessly because there was nothing for them to do except drive around with a shotgun and a six-pack right, driving, right. driving the rural roads and it was before the really before the advent of methamphetamine and it, mm -hmm. it became a surge on the landscape which was kind of the last death knell of so many people up, up oh, there yeah. they didn't have a future anymore right. we want to turn that around we want to be a big part of turning that around we need money coming into our rural communities. We need, and this is really a way that we think it's a good way that it's going to happen. That's making these grounds that were previously pretty non-productive, productive again, but in a wildlife healthy way. Absolutely. I, I think of a, of a massive landscape shift and change where you do have nesting cover, where you do have forb heavy blends that are being reset throughout a growing season and regenerating and regrowing you have brooding cover um quail pheasant turkey you've got enough time that when these prairies are being harvested in a july early august scenario that the the residual cover that's going to regrow after that harvesting standpoint and, and mind you only a third to half of the prairies are going to be harvested during that during that summertime window, but enough residual grass component that there's adequate wintering cover um, for such birds, um, for mammals. Um, the, the amount of good in a scale of this magnitude is going to revitalize not only communities, but but also think think of the then the the benefit to the wildlife, the wildlife component to it, that's going to bring in, you know, increased lease rates, um, increased hunting opportunity, 
um, for this this area, the amount of good that can come from it, conservation wise, water infiltration wise, income wise for these rural families, it's very, very significant. And that's what excites me about it so much from from not only changing a landscape, but also how directly correlated we are, humans are, to the land. If the land becomes healthier, more productive, what then that does that do for us? And, and we've always said on this podcast is, is how I tried to draw to um, that fact that we are connected with the land, um, whether you are spiritual, um, believe in Jesus and, and what the Bible preaches or not, we are connected there. And so this is just one illustration of that. I, and, and, and I think that um, we take care of land. We're going to have things returned back to us, let's say, um, in, in, a, in a way. So I, I'm just in, in all the ways of this program, really excited for what the future holds in this in this area. Then proof of concept goes, wow, where else can this be applied? So for maybe the best part of all, we haven't talked about this, that in addition to the lease rates that we pay, we will we pay for the prairie. We will, we purchase the right. seed and we install it and we maintain it over the next few years. It, you know, the, the first year you, you plant it, you're going to have a weed growth that comes and we have to, we're going to have to mow over the top of our prairie babies. And that's probably going to be the second year yep. too. But after by th year three, we're going to be in a position to start harvesting biomass. A lot of the prairie folks say that in the first year it sleeps and the second year it creeps and the third year it leaps. And so yep. if you have priced native seed lately, you understand that uh, <laughs> you're, looking, you're looking the mid $300 per acre. And that's yeah. what we're, yeah. we're doing a very a good diverse mix. That's really comparable to what you would have to, what you would use if you were in an enhanced CRP or a pollinator mix, which is really mm -hmm. Excellent. I mean, we'd all love, every one of us would love to have 75 species. <laughs> I mean, that that really yes. is not a likely thing. I mean, we'd be looking at over $1,000 and whether that seed would even be available. But uh, sure. There's, sure. there's nothing to tell the landowner that says, you know, that that can't be enhanced. Once they get excited about it, there could be other native, you know, grasses and uh, forbs that could be added to that. I, I assume we'd want to talk to them about that while the lease is still in. We want to make sure that it's native and we want to make sure that it's That's productive. Right. Does what we do doesn't interfere. But uh, for example, on a planting I have at my farm, we did a pollinator habitat. Then we just came back in this week and drilled eastern gamma grass uh, as, yeah, a, very nice. as, an, as an experiment to see if we can have a, you know a better forage or better. I, I just know that eventually it, that experiment is going to lead to a good biomass use for a, a really excellent grass. That's kind of unknown. It should yes. be, it yes. should be well known. It's, but for Does some it? reason, it's not a, it's not a big part of prairie restorations in Missouri. No, it, it doesn't seem like it. Um, it doesn't get like the, the title, let's say of the, the big three, um, big blue stem, little blue stem and, and Indian grass or switchgrass. Those three, four species is like, that's what everyone thinks of just tall grass prairie but um yeah eastern eastern gamma grass it, it really is the left out um 
grass that that should be a part of it but there's i'm i'm jazzed up about it. every time we get talking about it, steve my mind just goes into so many different um places and directions of of value here but i i'm very happy that we could help supply the first thousand acres of um of the project to get it going and for those people listening just a, a, a an awesome opportunity that okay both these farms there's two different landowners and you know, i guess there, there's more more than just two but but two big main ones of the first thousand um but they're they're next to each other and, and so we were fortunate to be able to to talk and think of that community aspect though for for instance one of them um it's a, it's a larger track of course but it's 800 acres were were tillable um, or currently in tillable production, I wouldn't necessarily call them tillable, making them the perfect fit for this program. Um, but of the 800 acres that were open and being farmed, 450, 460 were put into this program. So there still is the best ground um, that's going to be in an agricultural production, um, but significant amount of acreage, half of that open acres is now going to be cover and it's going to be prairie at no cost to the landowner um they're going to still retain income off of those acres but let's say design wise from habitat huntability um you guys didn't shy away at, at anything creating the corridors creating the, the the stream buffers um taking whole fields completely removing them from ag you, you guys said hey that's acres that we want and that should be in this program let's do it and so just design and layout wise for that specific land or those two specific landowners, nothing was at all lost, only gain from the huntability, from the design, from the functionality of that property. You take that much ground, remove it from ag and add cover. It is going to dramatically change the, the, the those farms and the way they operate, um, what they provide and and from the recreational value skyrocket compared to what they had been in um in past and previous years and the the reason i say this it, it, that area specifically of mercer county is neighborhood wise the best that you can essentially buy into um, ground does not come up for sale very often if it does it's not hitting the mark it is just the kind of the pinnacle area of North Missouri from a deer hunting standpoint, most people would say, but here now is you take some of the best neighborhood and now we're adding some of the best features into it from a habitat standpoint. How good is it going to, how good is it going to get when you're surrounded by many, many other recreational landowners? I don't have the answer to that. And that's, what's so exciting is like generally you kind of put your finger on the, okay, you can expect to see this happen or this happen, but the magnitude of what we're talking about, I don't know what the, what, what the answer is. Sky is the limit, I think. I think that, that any landowner that gets a prairie gets the bug because you find out it's not just X's and O's. I mean, there's such a complex relationship between all these plants and the, the, if you even dig further under the, the surface of the soil, the microbiota that works together with the mm -hmm. plants uh, that, that build soil carbon, I mean, that builds uh, 
uh, organic matter uh, that then gets translated into uh, above ground pollinators. And by that, mean we mean bees. We mean yep. insects that, you know, that pollinate flowers and that then gets turned into protein for ground nesting birds, including turkeys, quail, pheasants, uh, you know, dick sizzles and bobolinks and, and all the things that don't get much press, but are really at risk mm -hmm. these days because of the great diminishment of our grasslands. Uh, once the, once their eyes are open to this, I think all the other conservation practices are going to become of interest to folks. I remember I grew up yeah. in Vernon County, Missouri, and until I became a member of the Missouri Prairie Foundation, I did, had never noticed the wildflowers on our farm west of Nevada. I looked, well, but I did not see. And uh, yeah. It, it, yeah, I mean, how many times have, I mean, you, you, these things were in front of me all the time as a kid, but it wasn't something that I knew about or cared about. I remember the first time I walked down to our duck lake in, in the fall and saw 17 acre water surrounded by cardinal flower, which is a bright red. Oh, I love that one. Flower. Yes. And I, and I, I'm sure it was there growing up, but I never noticed it. It wasn't until I was an adult right. and been educated in a, in a faraway land, you know, that, that uh, I became understanding. But to that end Think about a landscape where this grass is just considered a core and there's a timberland next to it. And that landowner says, this land, landowner says, you know, what, you know, we've got this grassland. What can we do to make our, our timber better? And perhaps yeah. it, it's a closed canopy forest and needs to be thin from 110 basal count down to 60. And, and, and it becomes its own nesting cover and its own brood mm. cover. And uh, then compounding. It, and then leading down the hill, maybe to a backside that's perennially wet, perhaps the, a, a call to the NRCS or the FSA could lead one to perhaps building a, a, a wetland. Yeah. Because there are, there are wetland uh, programs that go unused every year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, small, small wetlands are extremely important to, to, to wildlife, not just waterfowl. Uh, Correct. And those programs are there, but... Once your eyes are opened as to, well, what could I do with this property? Is, am I really, am I really being its best steward? Uh, mm -hmm. And I don't think anybody, it, it's just, you don't know what you don't know. But That's once it. your eyes get opened and Prairie has always been a great way to open somebody's eyes to write to what's right. Absolutely. Prairie, Prairie is one that is so overlooked by many landowners, many hunters in general. They don't see that tree cover they they underestimate the value of the cover that is out there the foraging component that is part of a prairie um and then all the other aspects that make up the prairie deep-rooted plants the diversity everything completely overlooked from a ecological system and the value that it that it brings but um i really like that phrase um steve that you shared is i looked but i did not see and that is you you could you can use that phrase you know in the in the past of how good it was but i can use that phrase right now and say you looked but you did not see maybe it was you didn't see the the deterioration um 
the 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 forest the unhealthy forest you didn't see the fact that this was an unmanaged system or a system that was not operating um perfectly so i'm going to just let you know steal that phrase and i'm going to use it because it's so applicable uh, so thank you for sharing that but that that is <laughs> like for sure like that that is that captures um well, the, the point of consulting for, for us, right? What we do is like, I want to, I want to show you, teach you what you don't see because it's right there. And what a shame it would be for you to spend time on a property for so long and miss what the land is telling you, the signs of help me, improve me. Um, I want to capture that lens and just put it on people's eyes. So, um, yeah, I looked, but I did not see. Thank you for sharing that. See, this is this is where talking to other people, you learn so much and you just gain. So I appreciate sharing that one. Oh, uh, please use it every chance you get in, in the in the wildlife context. Yes, uh, because we think we think we know a lot, and we do. Yep. You know, uh, we're not willfully ignorant, but I'm ignorant right. ignorant of so many things. I started building a wetland on my farm, and I have learned so much that I I thought I knew. But I didn't. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and wetlands will do that. Wetlands will humble you. Oh, we have you know some great resources in Missouri. Yeah, uh, through the conservation department, uh, the NRCS office, the FSA. I mean, there are some great, great people working yes. there that are 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 thrilled to come out and evaluate your property and help you get cost shared to do this. It, right. I don't think most landowners even know that these things are available. And Let I'm, me tell you. I, I'm always uh, hesitant when I think about an overarching government. Mm -hmm. a, you know, I'm a conservative person, mm -hmm. but let me tell you, they don't. The, the intent of these programs is not to take your land. Sure, and it, right. it's not to tell you what to do. These these programs have been developed at the direction of Congress to to fulfill a need, which leaders in our country believe that we have and that is to get more wildlife on the ground for you and for me yeah and, uh, so i i just say take advantage of them there's a there's a lot of federal money headed down the pike right oh, now for sure uh, yep. because of some different acts and through congress and if you have ground don't don't let it get away from you take take advantage of those and work with the professionals uh either within the you know the government offices or folks like uh you know, Matt and Adam and Brady that really know what they're talking about. Um, I, I'd be really remiss to say that in this grant, uh, if I didn't say this, we have 13 partners with this. We're working with University of Missouri. We're working with the Iowa State University. We're working with the Missouri Prairie Foundation. We're working with a lot of organizations uh, that are all bringing their expertise into us. We, we're not relying on some 41-year career lawyer <laughs> or, <laughs> or, or engineers in the can industry to come up with this. These are very, sure. very smart, uh, experienced people who have helped us develop these programs, all the way down to what kind of seed are we putting in a prairie mix? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh. That's awesome. Well, you, you can't... Um... You can't come up with this, can't brainchild this, let's say, without the help of really good teams and very, very knowledgeable people putting something of this magnitude, um, not only into an idea, but turning it into a practice and actually putting it in the ground. Right. So um, I, I'm 
very, very excited for what is to come of it. Excited to continue to push people to horizon to um, from the benefits there of the landowner themselves, but also from the wildlife and from the land aspect. So, Steve, it, it how can people who are interested get a hold of you all to discuss opportunities of enrolling their property um, and or for the people who are listening, who know people who need to know about this, how can they direct those folks to the Horizon 2 program? What would you say is the best avenue to do that? Well, there's there's a number of ways. Uh, one of the things you can do is go to go to YouTube and look up Prairie Profits, P-R-A-I-R-I-E, Profits, P-R-O-P-H-E-T-S. And there are, I think, seven uh, programs, very highly produced, very excellent uh, video, a video series that will discuss uh, Horizon 1 and Horizon 2 and some of the things that we talked about, like the hypoxic zone in, in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, the other thing you can go to look up uh, Raceline, R-O-E-S-L-E-I-N, Alternative Energy, mm-hmm. uh, and Horizon 2. Uh, go to that site and, and see. If you want to contact me directly, and I hope that if you have land in that Grand River Basin, in southern Iowa, northern Missouri, particularly in those counties, Mercer, Harrison, Worth, Gentry, and that in that area, if you're in a 30-mile radius from the Ruckman Farm or the Somerset Farm or the Whitetail Farm, we call them, send me an email. Send it to S. Mowry, that's M-O-W-R-Y, at Raceline, that's R-O-E-S-L-E-I-N, ae.com and so the cool thing about podcasts is that you can back that up and listen to it <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's s mowry at raceline ae.com and i'm sure that if you happen to send matt or adam a, a text message or an email they'll they'll direct you my direction absolutely uh, but we're i'm i'm far enough along in this life that uh I, I really want to make an impact. And I know Rudy mm-hmm. Raceline, our, our founder, he's going to dedicate the rest of his time to this, yes. uh, to this grant. He's re- he feels responsible for the taxpayers, the United States for making this possible. And I don't think he expects to see, to be here in 30 years. I right. hope he is. I hope he is like, Lord, I hope I am. I bet the yes. odds aren't great that I'm going to be, but uh, we, we really want to see the, uh, effects that we can have and like we talked about how important it is to a lot of us to own land uh maybe just as important as is the legacy that we leave for our our family um i I often tell people about turkey hunting i've killed a lot of turkeys in my life i've killed probably over 100 turkeys and 100 deer but it it's much more important to me at this stage that i have turkeys yes than then I kill turkeys. Mm-hmm. I know that's that's a hard thing to think about if you're in your 20s, your 30s, or your 40s, but somehow the Lord comes in and, and works on you and says, okay, it's time for you to start preparing uh, the opportunities for the others to come after you. Right, right. So that's, that's where I am personally in this, 
is to is to leave a big footprint. Mm. When we started our project with Smithfield Foods, I used to tell them, 600 acres is really nice, but what I really want is 6,000. Yes. <laughs> and yes, everybody yes, would yes. kind of chuckle and laugh and carry on. And here, uh, here we are. 6,000 is going to come next year. Right. So, in, in one year. In one year. And so, yeah. and, uh, but I'm going to need all your help, folks. If you don't own the land and mm-hmm. you know somebody that thinks that this might be an appropriate uh, project for them, uh, go to that uh, uh, Horizon 2 Raceline website and uh, send me an email at smowry, M-O-W-R-Y, at raceline, R-O-E-S-L-E-I-N-A-E.com. That's it. Steve, I appreciate your time. I appreciate um, working, obviously, along with Rudy and his team to be able to get this thing accomplished. I am jazzed up from the legacy that this is going to hold and have within this geographical region. I hope that this is just um, this, this is a proving grounds, let's say for this type of industry um, to be able to produce and extrapolate out across the country into those areas that have um, and could find animal right where, where this can be utilized as well. So I, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm excited. Thank you for your time to come on here and talk directly to the folks who are, if you will, the, they're the base of this thing. They're the foundation of this thing. Like it's going to take the people that we just talked to Steve to pick up the phone, to email, to do this, to, to actually see it through. So um, guys, we're calling on you guys to, to do your part. If you don't own the ground, just connect people, connect Steve with folks who are in the right areas to get this accomplished. That's what, that's what we're asking for um, your hand and, and your work to be able to do that. So the information's out there, guys, get after it. Steve, thank you for your time and um, guys, we'll catch you here next week. <laughs>